Welcome to the Future of Tourism Podcast. I'm David Peacock. I want to talk today about the consumer buyer decision process in tourism. And, and when I look at buyer decision process, I like to reference two other touch points over the last decade. When we think about how we watched television in, in 2005 or in, in 2000, it is utterly and completely different than the way we watch today. Television may be the most single, dis singularly disrupted industry out there because of digital innovation. Um, I'm, a I'm a former television executive, and in my house, I don't have cable anymore, and that's, that's hard to imagine. I couldn't have imagined that in 2005. The second most disrupted industry I see is music, and, and some of you listening are maybe old enough to remember Napster when it came on the scene with streaming MT3s. Um, Napster didn't last long. It lasted about a year before a lawsuit shut it down, but the change it put in place was irrevocable. Within, within 12 months of Napster's decision at the, at the courts, streaming music was central and Columbia House, I don't know, maybe some of you remember six CDs for a penny on the back of a magazine. Maybe some of you remember magazines. Um, within, within 12 months of that decision, Columbia House was out of business, the world's largest supplier of CDs. I put it to you that tourism is probably the third most impacted industry in terms of the consumer buyer decision process and digital disruption. And if you think about it, nowadays we talk about 70% of research for tourism takes place on a mobile device, whether it's a tablet or a cell phone. And then when it comes to in-market searches and research, it's 100% almost on these devices. Yet in some way, we still market tourism like it was 1999. And, and for me, the penny dropped about nine years ago. Uh, I had a director of marketing, a very brilliant fellow, and just to, to put it simply, when he would walk into my office, his asks were generally had five zeros or sometimes even six zeros behind them for campaigns. And then I had a director of digital innovation. He would walk into my office and ask for $500 at a time. And the real problem was this, the $500 investments were extremely um, valuable and they yielded great returns. The hardest thing we had to do as a, as, a, as a regional tourism office was get our heads around the fact that instead of being able to spend $100,000, we were going to have to do $500 projects. But that, that was the reality. Um, my guests today are two young individuals uh, and they're sector experts who both understand and represent the massively different buyer decision process we we face today. So with me today is Hannah Hintz. Hannah's an account director at Miles Partnership. Um, she's got a passion for tourism. She believes travel's vital uh, to compassion and connection and really simply put it to relevancy in this world. Um, she is a um, self-styled triathlete who goes for the long form, which apparently is 70.3 miles. <laughs> Um, and, and I first encountered, I first encountered Hannah, I was listening to Maura Gast, um, during one of the breakouts for the advocacy summit back in October. And we were talking about, you know, how people made decisions and Maura, and I love Maura because she cuts right to the chase and she, she was listening to Hannah talk about an upcoming trip and she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I understand how you make those decisions? How do you choose an Airbnb over a hotel, et cetera? And that became sort of the, the um, impetus for this show. I 
to dive into the consumer buyer decision process. Our other guest is Charlotte Moore. Now, Charlotte Moore is my favorite digital innovator. I've worked with her for about almost four years now. Um, she has been the uh, in charge of digital projects for the Regional Tourism Office in Ontario, Canada. Um, she is also a classical, classically trained musician and a brilliant cellist, uh, one of my favorite instruments. And she's in a band called The Waverly's. Um, her approach to digital marketing is exactly uh, a form of reverse engineering of the consumer buyer decision process. She meets the consumer where and how they shop. So first up, Hannah, good morning, how are you? Good morning, great, thank you, David. Um, where are you? Uh, I'm calling in from Boulder, Colorado today. All right, and it, did I miss anything that you wanna share about your own personal bio or passion for tourism? Uh, I think you pretty well covered it. I've been in this specific uh, industry of tourism within marketing for 16 plus years. So feel like I've got to see things change over time and that's only accelerated. So excited to talk about that with you today. All right. Good morning, Charlotte Moore. Always, always happy to see you. Yes. Thank you for having me today. Where are you today? So today I'm calling you from Guelph, Ontario, my home in Guelph, where I've lived for most of my life. It's a, it sounds like an interesting name of a place and almost incomprehensible is how you might spell it. Yeah. <laughs> well, most people like to spell it G-W-E-L-F, um, which I'm okay with, honestly. But you're actually spelled G-U-E-L-P-H, right? That's correct, yeah. All right. Um, I touched on your history with the RTO. I talked about your classical musical training. Um, is there anything else you want to share as we get going here? Um, I'm just really excited to chat about um, digital specifically and, and not only how it's changed during the pandemic, but how it is increasingly involving and how, um, you know, people can be increasingly aware of that. So I'm just okay. very excited to be here. So let, let's kick it off then. Let's talk about um, where and how the consumer shops. And, and Hannah, going back to that, that uh, breakout session from uh, Destination International's Advocacy Summit where Maura asked you that question because you, you started talking about an upcoming trip and we were all kind of on the edge of our seats because we all haven't had trips in so long. So it was almost vicarious. It's vicarious where we're going, oh, where's she going? And she, and she really zeroed in and said, how do you make decisions? So can you tell us just in, in context, what was the trip and, and what was what were your answers about how you were deciding where you stayed and what were your what were your thoughts about that? Let's recap that. Sure. So uh, we were talking about an upcoming trip that I uh, was making the next weekend and I was pretty nervous because this was my first trip and I was still a little uneasy on if I was making the right decision during the pandemic, but did a lot of research into the location as well as who I was traveling with, frankly, a couple close friends. Um, and one step that helped me along the way was actually, I was going south from Colorado, just driving into New Mexico, going to Santa Fe. And they had recently taken or Colorado off of the safe state list for visitation. And so that in fact helped me feel a little bit more comfortable. Interesting enough, we had to uh, 
uh, my girlfriends and I all get COVID tested before we went. And so I felt that because I hadn't really spent time in close proximity with anybody outside of my household, um, that we all were negative. And also that New Mexico was being that careful. Um, I will say to jump ahead a little bit, arriving in Santa Fe and seeing everybody out wearing masks, as well as keeping them on um, outside of the very center. And even when we were still a bit distanced, walking around was great. Additionally, we spent a lot of time on the trails out there. So seeing people again, have, have their mask at the ready and just be really respectful in the parking lot or whatnot. Um, so I would say a big part of that decision-making process was looking at the Santa Fe tourism office and website and New Mexico's management um, of the pandemic and tourism as a whole and knowing that they were being careful. Otherwise, uh, looking through a lot of information around where to stay, I pretty much knew up front that I didn't want to stay in a hotel. And that's probably from being in the industry. I knew what was happening. I knew practices. And up front early on, right, the hotel seemed safe because they were the ones sharing their safety practices and cleaning. But I think that really speaks to now in the digital age, how you need to speak very directly. Everybody's making their decision in a very different way. And so you have to speak very directly and you have to speak very clearly in sharing what you're doing. Um, so jumping forward, I had known up front we wanted to stay in a home and through Airbnb also looked through practices, right? I went with a trusted host because I knew they would be following the practices of cleaning um, otherwise through Airbnb. So I think the additional challenge as it is on a much larger level with tourism was what do we want to do when we get there and the lack of information or ability to put all the details together of our options in terms of not only what felt safe and outside, but what was open and maybe what the locals like to do over the weekend. Um, so that's where I really just had to go with it a bit upon arrival. But that that's nothing new in the pandemic, unfortunately, for our industry. So uh, thanks for that. And, and I will uh, reference George Zimmerman uh, from Longwoods wrote a great piece that will be in the Simple View archive on exactly what you talked about, which is a destination demonstrating that it is ready to receive you and it's safe and making a, a really specific point about reinforcing that in, in so many ways. So, so thanks for some insight into how you made a decision. So Charlotte Moore, over to you. I, here's, the, here's, the, here's the question. 15 years ago, 10 years ago, we would sit here as marketers and we'd say, hmm, we've got to find Hannah Hans. How do we find Hannah Hans? Where do we find her? And we would do, you know, demographic or psychographic profiling. Then we'd do some geographic profiling and it's a pandemic. So we'd go smaller with our targeting circles. And then out of, you know, 300,000 people that we could afford to talk to, we figured there's maybe 10,000 Hannah Hanses in there. But that's not the, that's not the case anymore, really, is it? It's It's more... How do you make it so that Hannah Hintz finds you when she's ready to find you? That's it, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly it. And I would say, you know, the the visitor decision process has changed dramatically since we've had digital disruption. And um, there is a, quite a strong sense of trust now, right? Like we need to have trust in our marketing. We need to have trust in our messaging. Um, and people are looking for that type of messaging when they're looking to travel. Um, I would say when you're in a pandemic or not, building trust in your brand is extremely important. 
I would also say that when we think about marketing in its traditional sense, um, you know, the, the traditional sense of marketing in, in tourism specifically is to drive visitation, is to have more visitors come to your um, destination. But how people are, are traveling and how people are finding you has changed immensely over the past, um, you know, since 2000, I would say, essentially, has, has really changed. And, um, you know, it, it's one thing to, um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a specific example, um, working with an operator uh, through my work, um, who is really keen on just having a large budget that they wanted to put towards Google advertising. They want to put, you know, $5,000 towards Google ads to try and find um, the visitor that they want to attract. Um, but working with this operator specifically um, and looking at their digital assets, I noticed they hadn't claimed their Google My Business page. They hadn't updated their website. Um, they didn't have um, you know, specific SEO um, functions in the back end of their website. And these specific you know, digital hygiene um, building blocks were not in place. So in order to you know, have the right data to find that customer, um, they were essentially going in blind, you know, just just having this large budget to spend on on Google Google AdWords, um, and so you know, I said to them instead of um, you know looking at this specific need for you to you know marketing in the in the traditional terms is is putting money towards ads. Let's think about you know how are people going to find you on Google? What's your Google rating? Um, what are they going to find when they come to your website? So so these specific steps, I would say you know, need to be in place and, and people don't often think about that when in terms of marketing. So let, let's riff on that in a bit. Uh, I know you spent the past four years working on something that we call digital hygiene and I think it's tremendously important. Um, I love analogies and, and over, the, over the years we worked together, I'm sure you got sick of my analogies, but what you talk about is, is like the equivalent of having a car where the starter motor is kind of intermittent, doesn't always work, but you go out and buy chrome mag wheels instead of fixing the starter motor, right? Fair enough. Exactly. So Hannah, you have some direct experience with this too. Miles um, was one of the early innovators in the whole uh, Google My Business um, perfection and innovation. Talk to us a little bit about that program because it's very, it's very similar to what Charlotte's been doing in Ontario with a number of Operator Charlotte's actually embedded as what we call a digital excellence center in a number of our regional destinations. So talk to us about the Miles program. Yeah, I think to Charlotte's point in making sure the, the building blocks are there, we know that everybody is using Google. And so very early on, we realized that there was a huge opportunity for DMOs as well as their businesses to clean up, if you will, or even make uh, an experience, an image for themselves on Google. And so our program really took um, a lot of insight that our Google team spent many, many, many hours researching, working with Google, but looking at the um, algorithms and trying to figure out what information was most important, how often does it need to be updated, what pieces are connected, what do we have control over versus other contributors. And so getting down to the basics after understanding that on a higher level of claiming your business making sure the photos um, show what you have to offer. And what we found out there was pretty horrendous, honestly, in many areas. And to Charlotte's point, many businesses wanted to take the next five steps, but 
weren't even uh, taking the simple free step, if you will, of making sure their presence um, was, was clean. And so I think especially as we're trying to get people that are deeper and more interested to, let's say, a DMO website, we need to first make sure that they they reach the first checkpoint, if you will, on Google um, before having a hopes of even getting over there and, and putting money behind it. Charlotte, over to you. I saw your hand up. Yeah, sorry. I just wanted to add um, um, to Hannah's point there. I I wanted to just give a, another specific example of something that just happened to me today. I, I had been working with an operator um, who very similar wanted to spend, you know, have this large marketing budget on Google ads. And I worked with them to simply um, create a Google 360 of their business. Like, you know, we spent, I think they spent $300 or something creating a Google 360 of their business in August. And, um, you know, we, I helped them put it up in September and they sent me a report today saying that they, since, you know, September, so this was in August, so one month, They've had, you know, 20% more leads from Google just from uploading a Google 360. They've had 20% more leads to their business, um, you know, through people using the directions in Google My Business, through um, calling right in Google to them, um, or going, you know, Google leads to their website. So this was something that, uh, you know, they had never thought of, or they thought was kind of archaic. Like they thought, a, a, you know, a virtual tour of their business was archaic. And, um, you know, they can easily see the results in one month just from Google rewarding them, essentially, from, from uploading a Google 360. So, so um, if, if I know Charlotte Moore, you didn't just tell them to do Google 360. Your, your destination management organization probably gave them an incentive to do it as well. Yes, that's correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, we, we've, been, we've been helping operators for, for quite a few years on, on building Google 360s. So. So let's let's talk about that in this industry uh, as we shift from from broadcast marketing to more specific I, I call it you know getting found type marketing the the point you both made is it requires working with not just the destination management organization but with the destination management organization's client which is the, the individual business operator or the stakeholder and and I will tell you this Jack Johnson has done such a brilliant job in the past two years of really elevating the idea of the necessity of, of sh uh, community shared values. Um, uh, Paul Lumiette and the crew at uh, uh, Next Factor have done a great job of really ringing home that the future of tourism unequivocally includes stakeholder engagement. So we know those things are important. We know that prior to COVID. COVID comes along and those two things literally go meteoric. They are probably two of the most important things. There's DMOs out there that are literally an existential crisis as to whether or not they serve the communities and they're gonna to have to pivot very quickly and then they are. And there's there's really this this sense of stakeholder engagement, which I'm I'm kind of embarrassed to say in our industry is somewhat facile at times. We often have stakeholder engagement models where we bring our stakeholders in once a year and we talk to them and we give them some tea and cookies and we show them our marketing numbers and away they go. You're both working on the front line of stakeholder engagement. I, I put to you this, stakeholder engagement is a bit like that old uh, psych term we all got in 101, the approach avoidance conflict. Every destination wants to engage stakeholders in theory. And the closer they get to actually doing it, the more frightening it becomes because real and meaningful stakeholder engagement is about rolling up your sleeves and actually spending time 
in the same shoes as the business, and again, making small and incremental changes. And that's hard to get our heads around. We, we like to move opportunities, ideas, and big blocks. Working with stakeholders is not a big block thing, is it? Yeah, no, and, and I think rounding back to what you said in the opening, David, it's how we need to be successful now as marketers in tourism. It's the $500 buy in 100 different places or the five-hour commitment with 100 different partners. It really is learning as we go, which I think is another piece of this. So doing all the things, as Charlotte said, I love looking at the building blocks because all those can have an immense impact and you can't get to doing larger cool things until you do that. And it's a bit of a conundrum, I would say, because right now all of those things have an impact, but they may be hard to measure. And especially when you're measuring and reporting back to those stakeholders, at the same time, you have to take a risk, right? Because we need to continue to adapt to what our technology provides, what our data provides, which is more and more, and figure out how we continue to grow and pivot when we don't have a very simple number to report back to the stakeholders or necessarily have a specific ROI to give the stakeholders to come along with us as well. So it's being more versatile, it's being communicative, it's doing all the little things, as you said. And not being scared to do exactly that. Exactly. Okay, now Charlotte, I do know that you have been working really hard on KPIs at the stakeholder level, and it shouldn't surprise any of us that what Hannah's talking about, there are KPIs to it. They're not astounding. They're not like saying, hey, you know, the number of times in the past 15 years I've had the discussion, you know, what was your objective? Well, 10 million eyeballs. You go, how'd you do? Oh, we got 10 million eyeballs. And they pat themselves on the back and you say, well, how many did you buy? Well, 10 million. You say, wow, yeah. that's just amazing. You've been working at the level of the individual stakeholder on KPIs, and they're not huge things. They're not huge numbers. But what I've seen consistently with your work is the impact they have with that stakeholder business is huge. Can you talk to us about some of the outcomes you look for? And again, maybe you could give us a little bit of an outline of the Digital Excellence Center that you set up in the, the town of Alora in Ontario. Yeah, for sure. Um... Yeah, so, well, I'll speak about the Digital Excellence Center first, but um, so in Alora, we've been collaborating with the township there, the township of Center Wellington, um, to build a place where operators can access one-on-one -on -one coaching. So this one-on-one -on -one coaching literally happens with me. I, <laughs> I meet with every single operator who uh, enters into the Digital Excellence Center. Um, and I come prepared with a report. So we've audited, um, with, with help from Simple View, uh, we've audited um, each business's uh, digital presence. So this can be anything from their website to their social media, TripAdvisor, Google. Um, so I come prepared with a report um, to share with them and we go through the report and we do individual coaching based on their individual needs. And um, the, sort of the reason why, um, you know, we had been running workshops for, for years and, and really building up the, the stakeholder engagement in, in Alora Fergus for, for many years. And, and the reason why um, the Digital Excellence Center specifically was outlined as being, being something that was needed is because it was specific to each operator. Each operator had a different 
range of needs in their digital. Um, each operator had a different skill set. Like the skill set is is you know all over the board, and so having a specific um, need, um, you know, and sitting down with one operator allowed me to um, you know help and empower them. That's that's really the the point of the Digital Excellence Center is to encourage people to be empowered to take advantage of their own digital um, versus, you know, having blanket budgets, having blanket, you know, 10, you know, buying 10 million views, um, having them sit down and really understand the, the building blocks again to, to becoming su successful online. And so, sorry, go ahead. Let me ask that question because the building blocks, when you speak about them in theory, you know, you say, wow, that's complicated, but those building blocks, they are not particularly complicated, are they? They they're 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 prioritized. They happen in a certain order. Hannah, you mentioned, you know, you start with Google My Business, and I know you do too, Charlotte. What kind of building blocks? Talk to us about those. Yeah, you, you want the building blocks specifically? Sure. I mean, it's it's that <laughs> it's it, let's 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 make it as straightforward as we can for the listeners who are all thinking, you know, I want to engage my stakeholders. And I want to share great intelligence with them. I want to give them, you know, impressive performance things. But the truth of the matter is, it's it's the old saying, you know, with the guy who says to you, I really like your mad wheels, but I tell you what, if you fix your starter, you'll get to work, you know, twice as often. Yeah, for sure. I mean, an example of that is that um, a, a lot of the, the operators that I work with in our region, um, they don't have Google Analytics installed. Um, you know, that's like a very basic building block that that someone can come in and easily educate someone on. And, and so they're making these decisions, they're basing these decisions with no data, um, which is very common, a very common thing that I see is that, you know, they want to do marketing, but they don't have any data to back it up. Um, so we've been able to, um, you know, install, literally and just install Google Analytics <laughs> to people's websites. And we're now using that data to um, help them in their own SEO, um, to help them in their own, you know, path, their own consumer path to purchase. Um, so that's a very, you know, simplistic building block, but um, one that we see is very common. Yeah, I'd love to echo that and really focus on Charlotte's highlight of education. I think back to, again, the Google My Business listing update as a building block as part of our uh, Google program at Miles education is a big piece of it. And so it is the rising tide of all of the individual partners and businesses being able to do those pieces on their end, fill the building blocks. And then really, I think the sweet spot is when you can put all of those relatively simple things together and start to learn from it about your audience as well. Again, as Charlotte highlighted, Google Analytics is a wonderful tool. And I think we need to focus on everything we have in this digital age. Yes, it does keep becoming more and more complicated, but it also gives us a lot of insight and data that we can keep optimizing against and moving forward. So I think that ongoing education um, and how we use those tools, how we define the KPIs, right? Um, as you had said, there's definitely KPIs there. They just might not be easily comparable to what once was presented to a board. Um, so we need to start to learn how to unravel those, how to talk about engagement and make that a collective view. Well, and I think that's a really great insight and it sort of leads me to my next tranche of thinking, which is when we work with stakeholders, often the first place they wanna go is to creative. 
You know, I want some creative from my rock climbing business that'll inspire people. And we, and we, as the regional tourism office, Charlotte, I know you want to work with people on that stuff. But this 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 um, process oriented, systematized approach to building the foundation is key. It's great to have a brand new rock climbing video that's super exciting, but it will not be highly shareable or highly shared if you don't build the infrastructures. That's the case, isn't it? Yeah, I would say, yeah, 100%. If you don't have, um, it's like you, you can't put the, the cart before the horse, you know, if you don't have these building blocks in place, then you won't have the resources to be successful moving forward. Marketing is great. It opens up so many doors. But if you don't have these basics in place, um, you're, you're just not, you're, the chances of you being as successful um, are limited, I would say. Okay, so we're we're getting close to the end of the hour. Um, let's let's talk about this. When we look at the modern destination website, I think it's a, still a brilliant library of Congress where you organize your thinking and you present your best foot forward and you share with your stakeholders, um, you know, content that they can use. But when we do the research, and and Charlotte, I know you actually worked on this research, and somewhere like Stratford, Ontario, we're finding less than one in sixteen visitors actually uses the destination management organization's website. They are more likely to come in through the theater website or a culinary position and whatever. And that just underlines the importance of your stakeholders' um, web presence being robust. And, and we, we talk about it this way at RTO4, that, that the destination has a digital footprint. And it's really, a destination is today a, a viable definition of a destination is the sum total of shared stories and experiences about a given place or, or event or activity and that that digital footprint is made up of individual operator digital fingerprints and that I as a consumer am far more likely to access your destination as a first point of contact through one of these fingerprints what do you have to say to that I, I think that's very true. At the same point, I would argue that if the DMO is doing their job and supporting the partners, especially maybe the little guys who just can't do that on their own and, and featuring some of their content, then the DMO website is going to become much more important. I think it's a very valuable tool for people who may have not yet decided. So bringing it back years and years ago, and we talk about content as you say, like that's the marketing piece, the advertising, the fun part. And content still is very much king and you need to have that content, but if you're not presenting it in the right way or allowing people to find it um, in the right way, then it doesn't really matter what's there. And so I think it's definitely a collective effort. Um, you need to be able to at least bring in your partners to be able to point back out to them to show the collective destination um, and then make, make it strong all around. Again, back to the rise tide. So I think the world we live in, especially digitally, is a very tangled web. So <laughs> the DMO website has un, to Unintended. Yeah, and <laughs> everything else. Yeah. So Charlotte, I know you align with that statement that Hannah made because I know how hard you work to make sure that the the overall digital footprint of the of Alora Fergus in terms of the destination website aligns with the stakeholders and vice versa. Yeah, I I completely agree with what Hannah just said. Um, and I was really hoping that you would ask this question, David. Um, I I think this harkens back to uh, the role of the DMO and and how like what is the role of a progressive DMO 
Um, for many years, it was that sort of, you know, information library, a place where um, people go, a place where you create brochures. For a really long time, it was that. But, but in a progressive, you know, digitally disrupted world, um, the role of the DMO needs to change. And, and really progressive DMOs will recognize this and they will they will go straight to the source, straight to their operator, and empower them to, to improve their own digital versus having such a central focus on, on their own marketing of the destination. Because without these operators and without those fingerprints, there wouldn't really be a destination, right? Like they're, they're what makes up the product offering, they're what makes up the experiences within a destination. And so, as Hannah said, a rising tide floats all boats. That is that is 100% true. And I think progressive DMOs will recognize that and they will, they will harness that with their stakeholders um, as opposed to having this very insular view of, you know, we just advertise or we just do this. It's, it needs to be a more encompassed, holistic view of, of the destination moving forward. All right, so as they say, I'm picking up what you're both putting down, which is that traditional role exists and it has to be maintained and nurtured and we have to take on this other new role that's maybe a little bit more scary. So let's recap the day for a second here. We all know, um, as David Ogilvie said, in Madison Avenue back in the 1950s, the consumer's not an idiot. The consumer uh, is your husband or your wife or your partner or your significant other. And if we make content and uh, ideas and motivation available to them, the consumer will find you. We know that, and there's many paths to do that. We know that in order to do that, we have to maintain this balance with our traditional marketing role and our newer role of stakeholder engagement and destination development. We know that that's scary because it's outside our usual operating parameters, but your message to these people today listening is don't be scared of that. It's hard work, but it's not impossible work, and it's extremely productive work. As we round out the half hour, I, first of all, thank you both for being here. This is great. I've enjoyed this conversation as much as I've enjoyed it. It's really been great. Is there any parting thoughts you want to share with your peers in this industry? I mean, we all move forward together. We all move into the second phase of COVID together. I think it will, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of pained to say this, but I think it'll be spring 2022 before we have a normative marketing period for, for tourism again. Any closing thoughts? Uh, first to you, Charlotte. Yeah, I would just say um, uh, don't give up hope, first of all. And, you know, marketing in the traditional sense may be on hold, but um, the way to doing marketing successfully doesn't have to be. And, and take this time now as an opportunity to um, improve and to, um, you know, strive for digital excellence I would say um, it's it is um, you know a good opportunity for people to really sit down and pull their sleeves up and do the hard work um, and and I think that they'll see that it will pay off so so that would be my message I think excellent Hannah closing thoughts yeah, in a similar sense, I would say embrace the disruption. I feel like we've been given an opportunity where we don't have to be stuck in our traditional benchmarks and now is the time to take risks more than ever. We also in our digital age have more data available to us forever. So when you couple that with how we really need to work together, work with our partners, everybody has an important role to play in this from the businesses all the way up to the DMO, 
it's a real opportunity to move forward. We've been through uh, crises before. Budgets are always an issue. And so this is a great opportunity to work together and be creative in how we solve and how we market best. Well, guys, I got to tell you, I'm encouraged and inspired. It's been, it's been really wonderful talking to you both. Thanks for being here. We'll do this again soon, okay? Thanks, David. Thanks, Charlotte. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.